Hey guys, before we get into the episode, it blows my mind that we're launching another podcast. And this time, I actually want to feature you guys as a guest. Now, if you're a six-figure entrepreneur who has your own podcast and you listen to the show, I actually want to interview you on our brand new podcast, which is called Six Figure Podcast Rebels. You just need to go to www.top100interview.com and you can apply to get featured. All right, guys, back to the show. What's up? Jamie Atkinson here, back with the Changemakers podcast. And today, I'm actually really pumped for today's episode. And I know I say I'm excited a lot, and most people are like, Jamie, you tell us you're excited every episode. But I'm genuinely super pumped up today because it's going to be a little bit different, I think, to regular interviews that we've done. Today is going to be more of a discussion. And I love discussions because I love bringing on interesting people with different points of view. And the thing that I love about my guest today is I've been very fortunate to spend a lot of close time with him. He's been inside of our coaching programs. We've actually grown into what I think is a pretty interesting friendship. And the thing that I love about this guest today is that he has some very polarizing ways in which he chooses to live his life. And for some people out there, sometimes just seeing you know, a picture of a day in the life of what my guest experiences today, it sends them over the edge. And, and that is no exaggeration. And the thing that I love about him is that he's so willing to put that out there. And today we're going to have a really interesting uh, discussion based around the perfect average day, talking about, you know, our growth and how things have changed in the last year, both for me and for him. Uh, and I'm really excited because of all the things that he's done from being a failed politician to being a doggy Instagram bad boy and selling, you know, doggy sunglasses online, you know, what he really is doing is living that lifestyle that so many people strive for, which is having a business that's automated, that doesn't require a lot of time and energy. So he can do the things that he really wants in his life. So guys, please welcome to the stage, Robin Copernicus. What's up, bro? Welcome to the podcast. How's it going? Hey, Jamie, that was an awesome intro with so much energy and I'm so happy to be here. And I can't believe that you remembered the free doggy sunglasses funnel that I made. Dude, why do free plus ago. shipping when you can do free doggy sunglasses, right? That's like a legit, <laughs> like, a, like a legit fun funnel, right? That was a fun uh, self-liquidating offer. Yeah, for sure. I, I like that. So today's interesting, actually, because, you know, anybody that listened to the last episode on the podcast will know I kind of announced that I got COVID and I'm still quarantined right now and just been recovering. And uh, but I feel great. The reason why I think I've got so much energy on this podcast today is I'm like, oh, this is what it feels like not to feel like shit every day. So definitely pumped up to chat with you today, Robin, for anybody that's listening, because I know us saying failed politician and doggy Instagram bad boy doesn't exactly <laughs> describe you and what you do. Let, let's just give people some context because you come from a really interesting background of, you know, SaaS business, investor style business. Just give us a little sort of one minute overview and, and take us through your story real quick because I think it's fascinating. Yeah, so I feel like I, you know, did all the things that you're supposed to do uh, got the good grades, went to the right schools, got the right jobs, et cetera. And that was supposed to make you happy. But somewhere in the middle of it, I looked around where I was working. I was working at a, uh, a commodity trading firm. I was a energy trader. And I looked around and I realized that these are not my people and I don't want to be here. So I quit that job and started my own startup. And I did it the MBA way, the way that they teach you in business school. And I was totally pumped about that too, because I just felt like I had so much knowledge and I can put so much value out to the marketplace. 
And I spent all my money building this awesome, wonderful product, but I fell flat on my face because I realized that I didn't know how to sell online. So after that, I've had a few other startups and I've kept falling flat on my face for the same reason. And I decided to sit down and, and, and actually look at my entire process and figure out how can I sell online? So I started hooking up with different coaches. Jamie, you're, you're one of those coaches. We did um, hook up. It's documented. Yeah. hundred <laughs> percent. He's, he's pretty, then, he's a good guy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we, I think it's almost been a year. No, it's been over a year now. So we, we started on the podcast profit lab and the way that I got into the podcast world is I was working on my business somewhere while I was working on my business. I also had all this free time and, and energy. And I decided that with the political climate that was going on, I would get into politics because I felt like I could really add value there as well. And I hired Jamie to be my podcast coach. And the idea was that I would have a political podcast and I can use that to start networking with other people that are in that industry and start building a name for myself. And it would have been a good platform. So I hired Jamie. Jamie knows how to take people from zero to hero on podcasting. And Jamie actually sat me down and he said, Robin, is that really what you want to do? And, and he exposed me to this exercise called the perfect average day exercise. And I, I'll let you talk a little bit more about the perfect average day, Jamie. Dude, I, I'm so fascinated by this because, you know, I of everybody that I talk to about this and, and just for anybody listening at home, I was introduced to the perfect average day through my coach. It's a training that has actually been done by a ton of entrepreneurs, right? There's everybody from Dean Graziosi to Tony Robbins to uh, Frank Kern, which is the one that we follow, who've talked about, you know, in one way or another, this idea of manifestation and visualization and basically saying, you know, Everybody says they want to win the lottery, but what does that actually look like? You know, the money hits your bank account, whatever, you know, what does that look like? What life do you actually want to live? And ever since we have been through this process and I now teach my students it and we go through it fairly religiously, this idea of mapping out, you know, without constraints, without limitations, not your perfect day that you go and, you know, pick up the winning lottery ticket or the day that you walk on Funnel Hacking Live stage and, get your million dollar two comic club award, but just the perfect average day, the average day, just you wake up, it's a regular Tuesday morning. You know, what does that day look like? What do you do that brings excitement, fulfillment, energy? You know, what makes you feel like you're winning in life? And this is something that I went through and, and we're going to dig in a little bit and, and talk about, you know, I, I, I don't know if you're down for this, Robin, but I'm happy to share what my perfect average day actually looked like when I first did this back in, I think the end of January last year, January, 2020 was when I mapped mine out. Do you remember when yours was? Times, I think around March. How many times has it been since you've changed it? I changed it only twice. And, and usually, and just to give you guys some context, you know, you're gonna, when you map out your perfect average day, you might think about six months or 12 months into the future. And a lot of the time you'll update it. Right. And, and I'd like to try and update mine every three to six months. Um, but honestly, I, I had a really hard time updating my perfect average day. Um, and, you know, ever since the, the, you know, ever since probably October time is when I tried to do it. And, you know, I tried once in July as well when I was back home with my parents. And I, I couldn't tell you what wasn't connecting. But as I was writing out this perfect average day, I remember I wrote out almost the entire day and just read it back. And I didn't feel like I connected with it. 
there was just something that that didn't really feel right. And um, since then, you know, I, I've broken up with Gina and, and we've ended our relationship. And, you know, for me, I, I think that there was definitely some kind of block there, right? I was trying to write Gina into my perfect day. And I think the truth is that we're both better off for it now on the back end. Um, but that wasn't necessarily a, a truth that existed. So since then, I've actually just rewritten my perfect average day, literally just a, a week or so ago. And now I have the new plan of where I want to go in the next three months and six months. But it's interesting that there's been some some pretty big changes. When well, can you remember when you start when you wrote your first version of the perfect average day? First version of the perfect average day was around March. And I think since that time, it's January now. So it's been been a little while, but I'm actually living pretty close to what my perfect average day is. But before I go into kind of what my actual plan was, I, I kind of want to tell your listeners um, exactly what you would get out of doing this perfect average day exercise. So as you were saying a little bit before, you were saying instead of looking at the lottery ticket or what kind of life you want, whenever you think about life in the future, you're always thinking about materialistic things. But looking at your average day, that's actually like how you live your life. So when you break it down and you just visualize your perfect average day, then you know what kind of life you actually want. And it gets you one step closer to your core identity. The other benefit that I actually got out of it is I realized how much of my perfect average day that I'm already living and it brought me so much fulfillment and the feeling of content because before for most ambitious people and entrepreneurs were very ambitious for most ambitious people you're always chasing the next best thing and you're not yeah you're not taking the time to actually appreciate what you have so when you realize what your perfect average day would look like and then you see that you're living a lot of it I mean that it, it just makes you feel so good and so happy that that feeling of contentment. So Jamie, my first version of the perfect average day. Um, let's see, I think I woke up on the beach and I woke up really relaxing. There's no alarm clocks. I don't look at my phone. I'm just looking outside the window, staring at nature. And I cuddle with Rari for about 15 minutes. And for those that don't know, Rari is my little white Pomeranian. Uh, she's on Instagram, so you could follow her at, at Rari, my love if you want to see some cute hoppity hop pictures. Very cute, very cute pictures. Yeah, little little five pound palm who just loves living life and makes everyone happy around her. So I wake up with Rari, we're cuddling. And then after we're cuddling, um, I take her out for a walk so she can do her business. I make myself some coffee and then I get ready to train. My trainer comes over, we're sparring a little bit. And then I work out in the gym, then I go take a shower. So I don't want to bore everyone with all these details. But one detail that actually stuck out with me is after I take my shower and I go and I'm eating, I can't remember if it was after the shower. No. Yeah. After I take my shower, I think I eat breakfast, then I eat breakfast, then I'm working. And then after I work, I'm meeting up my wife for lunch. And in this, in this uh, visualization, my wife, of course, is Jessica Alva. And she, we just oh, meet naturally. For about, that's that's yeah, very course. real. Yeah, of course. Uh, we meet for about a half an hour um, after lunch, and then you know she goes off and does her own thing. And then the rest of the day, she's not even in the whole picture. So when I went and revisited my perfect average day, I was like, why is this person just here for lunch? Like she's not anywhere else in the picture. Why don't Why don't I just take take her out? And why don't I think even more differently? So from that point on. I realized that, you know, I don't even think I want to get married anymore. Um, I love the freedom that I have 
a freedom to be able to do whatever I want, whenever I want. And the way that I'm looking at it right now, I don't believe that there might be a forever person for me. And I think a lot of people fall into the trap by thinking that there's a forever person for them. And when you fall into that trap and that person doesn't fulfill your expectations, it ends up with two people being really, really sad. So I backed up and the way that I look at life now is I'm just here to share magical moments with other people and not be tied to this commitment. And as we're sharing these magical moments, as soon as we realize that it's not working for us anymore, we consciously decouple and everything's okay. I think, I think that's really interesting because I think so many people have very different views, but it's all based on what we've been told and, you know, ideas that get put into our head about the way that we are. And I'm, I'm fascinated by your perfect average day because, you know, I, I think the big realization and what you said just a second ago, which really stands out to me, is this idea of like, look, like most of the time we've already got most of the things we need to be happy. And, you know, in the perfect average day and, and Frank Kern's core influence talk, which is what we're basing a lot of this conversation on, you know, he actually talks about the fact that the things that we want, we, we don't usually want the things, we want the experiences, right? It's not the new fast car and, you know, we don't want the physical item, we want the experience of driving the car and everybody thinking we're James Bond, or we don't want to move house, we want the experience of moving into a new home and, and that experience is the thing that we can crave. So I'm, I'm curious about this, Robin, because so many people have goals that they want to go and set. They have goals that they want to go and achieve. It, it almost feels like if you hit the goal, you go and set a new and bigger goal. Or if you don't hit the goal, you just beat yourself up like crazy. What have been some of the biggest mindset shifts that you've seen? Because I see a lot of people where it's not necessarily about what they've achieved in the perfect average day. It's kind of like how they feel about their life in general. Have you noticed any shifts for yourself? Feeling is actually a pretty good word. So I am much more comfortable in my skin. And as you were saying a little bit earlier, I'm very polarizing. And the reason that is, is because I've realized after doing this perfect average day exercise that not everyone's going to like me and I'm not going to like everyone. And it's, you know, pretty exhausting to try. And if I just think about what I like and the people that I can surround myself with that where they let me be myself, and I think that's the ultimate goal for everyone, just to you know, be yourself and be accepted and validated for being yourself. Um, if I can do that, then I could have a much better life. So I'm really quick to cut people out, um, especially if I feel like they're not going to add any value or they might be a Karen in my life or, or something like that. Karen. And didn't, I, didn't I, I remember reading, was it a comment inside of the 101 group, the podcasting 101 group? You, you said something along the lines of like, I'm going to say some comment about weed super fast and just see how you react. And that's going to tell me whether we're going to be friends or not. Can, can you remember the, the comment? Yes. Yes. It was. So it was, it was, it was a comment that was made a little with a little bit of silliness, but there's, there's definitely a lot of elements of truth to it. And I said, whenever I meet someone, I act as obnoxious as possible. And if they still want to be my friend or if they still like me, then I know I made a friend. And if they don't, then I've got them out of my life uh, much faster. And, you know. Yeah, it's kind of like, here's a 10x version of me. And if you can handle that, it's not far off the real me once I drop all of my social dynamics and you start to find out the real person, right? Yes. So now when I'm actually hiring people and I'm figuring out who should be on my team or who I want to hang out with, I actually straight out tell them, um, this is like during the application interviews. Hey, I smoke a lot of weed. Now listen to trap music. How do you feel about that? 
And based on the reaction, I already know if they're going to be a good fit with the team or not. I can, I can visualize the hot box interview room, actually. I think that's, you know, <laughs> as a, come into this car with me. We need to roll up the windows and have a serious discussion for a minute, right? It's like something straight out of an Elon Musk interview. Yeah. Well, th th that's the thing, right? We spend most of our lives working um, with people. And the, the people that work, I think it's like 10 years uh, nonstop where we spend most of our life or 10 years of our lives with people. And Jamie, I'm like losing my train of thought. <laughs> <laughs> the people we work, right? We spend like yeah. 10 years of like our life with the people we work with, right? You, you spend more yeah, time yeah. with the people you work with than you do with your wife at home, your kids, than anybody else, right? Because you're there every day with them. Yes. And if you don't like the people that you're working with, I mean, what a miserable life to live. So I, re I remember working in the corporate world and there would be people that came into work and they would be scared to say the wrong things or do the wrong things. And it's just, it's, it's so anxiety inducing to think about other people living lives like that. Um, not even myself. And just to be able to break out of your shell, be comfortable, surround yourself with the people that actually accept you for being you. That I think that is like, the closest thing you can get to, to your heaven, your perfect average day, Disney World. I don't know what you would want to call it, Nirvana. But really, I mean, that, that's like your happy place on earth if you can find that. What do, you, what do you think that looks like for people to work from home? Because so many entrepreneurs are, you know, we have some people who are going to be the, the higher end, the, the people who have teams and they spend a lot of time with their teams. But even when you spend time with your teams on Zoom, you know, a lot of the time you're going to spend time at home. What do you think that dynamic looks like compared to, you know, working in, you know, a work environment where you're with people every single day? So I, th I think it depends on what you're doing. If you are involved in a lot of creative processes, for me, I actually enjoy my solitude. And I think a lot of people that I work with, they also like to do their own thing in their own silos. And then we connect over WhatsApp or, or Zoom when we need to connect. And I think it's a good working um, atmosphere just like that. However, if you need to do a lot of business development where you need to do a lot of communication and talking to different people, then it's really useful to have people face to face. Um, so if you're doing sales and you need that element of human touch, humanness, then I think it's helpful. But if someone's been on your team for a while and you kind of already, you know, like Jamie, Jamie, we, we've only known each other virtually, but I feel like I've hung out with you and and it's not, you know, it's not that bad. So yeah. for, yeah, for other people working from home, I mean, I, I, I know some people like to be around a lot of people and for them, it might not feel as good, but I think there's still ways to, to do it, at least for different types of jobs. So for creative jobs, solitude definitely helps increase creativity. But if you're doing sales or, or something where you need to keep in constant communication, then it might be a little bit more difficult unless you're on clubhouse clubhouse is a pretty good app to facilitate that dude i i, I definitely want to have the clubhouse conversation because just before we we got on this uh interview you were kind of asking me you know man like can't believe you're not doing anything on clubhouse and and i think there's um an interesting conversation we have there but actually just the other day you know while we're talking about dynamics of people you know being at home versus being virtual i was even considering you know and by the way guys if you're listening at home and you ever had the desire to come and hang out in costa rica and work with me in an office i said i thought to myself like how how much more powerful would it be if i had somebody in my team that was working alongside me every single day and you know, pushing me and I pushing them to kind of exceed and do things bigger and better, you know, compared to say working at home and having that, that kind of own dynamic. 
what are your thoughts on that? Because I know you work in a lot of, you know, co, I, want, I don't want to say co-working spaces, but a lot of environments where you're collaborating with other people, right? Most of it's been really virtual now. Um, if I had to think about the difference between like a corporate atmosphere and here, in a corporate atmosphere, you always have distractions around you. And I see the headphones that I'm wearing right now for this podcast, I used to just put those on just so I can get a lot of work done and people won't tap you on the shoulder, um, distracting you, which, which isn't a bad thing. I mean, you want to talk to your coworkers and you want to be friends with your coworkers. But I think if you're deep into some kind of project where you're, I call it mad scientist mode, and you're in that flow state, um, it just depends on the type of work you're, you're doing. That's what I would say. What, what do you think about it? Well, I, I think, I think I, I think I agree in some respects and you know what, it's been so long since I've worked in that kind of environment and, you know, it was tricky because with, with me and Gina, the, the dynamic was a little bit different when we worked together because, you know, we were a couple and, and I always feel like, you know, when you work with somebody who you're in a relationship with, you bring a lot of that relationship into your work environment and it can be really challenging. And, and I've noticed, especially since we aren't in that environment anymore, my work, you know, just the way I present myself has been really different, but I, it's been so long since I've worked in that kind of collaborative environment. And actually when I was working in a regular job, it was a sales job. And that's a little different, right? When you're in sales, it's, you know, you have a team of people on the floor that maybe you're working with, but you know, a lot of the time you're working one-on-one -on -one with customers. So it's not like I'm on a laptop typing out and trying to fix a solution or come up with some copy or, you know, write a, a VSL or, or something along the lines of that. So I, I, I don't know. I think it would be interesting. I, I think I would be open to the idea of trying it, but there's something, there's something powerful about, um, about the fact that you can get more done when you focus, right? And when you don't have those kind of distractions in your life. Speaking yes. of distractions in your life, we, we briefly mentioned Clubhouse and, and I'm, I'm super interested to know your take on this, Robin, um, because a lot of people who follow me have been listening to my emails. I've got wrote a couple emails about Clubhouse so far, and I've been very anti-Clubhouse in a lot of ways. And, yeah. um, and I'm super open to dig into this topic because I am not saying that Clubhouse isn't a huge opportunity. And I have you know a couple of friends who I know personally who have made a lot of money from Clubhouse already. But I, I do think that a lot of people are getting stuck in the trap of, you know, consuming in that platform. What's your take on it, Robin? I'm super curious to hear your thoughts before we, we dig into that conversation. Well, one, I, I thought that you would be a master of Clubhouse right away because it's definitely your spot. Um, Clubhouse, it's a pretty good app for networking. I mean, it's really easy to get leads and it's really easy to connect with people and they know you're not a bot because you're using your voice. So when I read your email, Jamie, that said you weren't going to be focusing on Clubhouse at all, it actually um, felt like I felt a little upset for you because I feel like you were you were missing out. But I'm interested to you said you might have some plans for Clubhouse. So I'm interested in hearing what kind of plans you have. But getting onto Clubhouse, I mean, it's a lot of fun because you can just get into a room um, as long as you can find the type of rooms that you like and then see what types of conversations are going on. And if you have some kind of value to add, you can hop on and add value, or you can even ask a question. And other people in the room, I mean, you guys are all kind of on the same mission. So when you meet other people like that in an atmosphere where you get to hear someone's voice, it is another element of connection that you can't really replicate on Facebook or Twitter. So on Facebook or Twitter, most people are just standing on a soapbox 
And with Clubhouse, it feels like you're kind of in, you know, in a round table with everyone and everyone has equal footing and there's no soapbox for someone to stand on and you can just join into the conversation. Yeah, I think, it, I think it's really interesting. And, and really to give some context onto why I'm deciding not to put, you know, a lot of effort and energy into Clubhouse right now, it actually ties back to one of the biggest challenges I've had in my growth in the last year. And I've been pretty public about this and I've, I've chatted about, you know, the fact that our revenue dropped in the last six months or so as we focused on different projects. And, and when we look at my business in the last six months or so, one of the biggest areas that we've really struggled with has been lead generation. And it wasn't because necessarily we didn't know how to go and create a lead generation system, but I think it was due to a lot of resistance. I really wanted to go for the paid advertising route. Um, and that meant that I had to stop doing organic in some certain ways that we've been doing it before. We hit some roadblocks with Facebook profiles getting removed and things like that. But honestly, I was a little bit tired of the whole organic hustle that became associated with Facebook. The showing up and launching the business and you know this launch to launch to launch model was kind of exhausting for me. And, you know, I, I've tried to get Facebook ads and get paid advertising working as a lead generation strategy for a while, but I, I had to do some real personal mindset growth in order to say, look, I need to be okay with the fact that this is probably going to take us to $100,000 a month or, you know, $150,000 a month or where that's going to take me. And I had a lot of mindset issues around money that were kind of holding me back. But one of the biggest things that I felt like I accomplished, especially at the end of last year, was this idea of being able to break through that. This idea of, okay, now I'm going to focus. I know what our lead gen strategy is going to be. And when we look at my business specifically, you know, when people come in at the bottom end of our value ladder, when they come in at the $27 level or the $100 level or the $200 level, we have a really good ascension path. A lot of people end up buying our core program, the Podcast Profit Lab. A lot of those people end up coming into our Inner Circle coaching program. And that stuff's all kind of working. It does a really good job. We just need more people coming in the front end. So when Clubhouse came along and we just hired a brand new Facebook ad agency, they're like $5,000 a month. And then we have the ad spend on top. Like it was a sizable investment. And I knew that if I wanted to get the most out of the money I'm investing in them, and if I want to fix the real problem in my business, then it's really about just cultivating that lead generation system. And I know the only thing stopping me from going from, you know, I think last month we did $25,000 in sales and previous months we've done 30, 40, $50,000, you know, pretty consistently. So that's quite a low month for us. I know the only thing stopping us going from there to a hundred thousand or $200,000 is just unlocking this tap on the front end lead gen. And I know that the secret to getting there is through paid advertising. So when Clubhouse came along as an opportunity, I looked at it as a, look, this is a cool thing. There's massive potential. There's massive opportunity. I'm great on audio. I champion audio within my brand. And I know I'm really good at building connections, relationships, standing out. It's helpful. I have a British accent. There's a lot of cool stuff that really would help me stand out on Clubhouse. But because of this idea of, look, I know where the problem in my business is. I know what I need to focus on to get to the result that I want to get to. And it's saying no to everything else that isn't going to get me there and focusing on that one thing. And that's kind of the big reason why I decided not to jump into Clubhouse. Okay. I, I actually totally agree with you, Jamie. So as soon as I was in your coaching program, you've emphasized focus a lot. And I've actually noticed that that was one of the things that's actually holding me back as well. So the, the actual crazy thing is 
the more you try different things and the more you start failing in different things, you start getting better at and better at knowing exactly what you want to do and how you want to offer value out to the market. So I'm super excited about the things that I'm actually doing now. Before, I was still a little all over the place. Um, I had my cold traffic conversions program, and I realized that I think the target group that I went after aren't really the target group that I was supposed to go after. So I pivoted the audience there, and I have a list of like 4,000 email addresses. I'm sure some will cross over, but I feel like I'm starting from scratch, but I'm super mm -hmm. optimistic. And now all my focus is going into this project. Before I started this project, I actually wrote a book about living in Saloon. And I already finished writing it. The graphics are done. And for me to actually put it out there, it's going to take time away from what I'm doing now. So I feel like, oh my God, I feel, you know, I spent so much time building this and I really want to put it out there, but I feel the same way as you do, Jamie. I need to focus on what's really going to take me to the next level. So that Tulum book, I've kind of just put it off to the side, even though I know it's a sunk cost and it's calling me and it's really attractive. Cause it's like, <laughs> Hey, I get to put the book you, out there with my, yeah. I mean, I, I wrote an entire book, um, but now I'm working on a different book and I feel like all my energy and focus should actually go into this project. And I feel really good about this project. So that was one of the main, like a huge benefit actually going through your coaching program was to take that focus and, and stay focused. Dude, I've been thrilled to see you kind of grow. I'm, I'm curious here because, you know, to touch on what you said about, you know, going after the wrong person. And what was it? Because you were what you were wanting to work specifically was it, it was with like SaaS business owners, right? Those were the people who you were kind of targeting. What what was the thing that made you think, you know what, maybe these aren't the right people? What made you want to try and change working with those people? So I should actually maybe clarify that a little bit. It's, it's still the right people, but not the right time, not the right awareness stage where they were at. What I realized is I was going after people that already had businesses. And if they needed to get, if they needed to get more money or more customers into their business and needed to automate their business, that's how I would be able to help them. And it was a good crowd because it's a B2B market. They're already making money and they have money to spend. However, what I realized is that where I can add the most value, where my story actually connects is with someone that is at the earlier stages before he even begins his business. He's kind of hobbling around trying to figure out how he can put his idea into the market and he's making all these mistakes. And all these mistakes, the similar mistakes that I made, I want to be able to save that person. So I've shifted the time and I'm going back a little bit earlier in the uh, awareness stage. Um, so, so it's the same person, but just a different time and a different mindset, different area of growth where this person is. I like that. It's, it's the same dream customer, just at a different point in time, right? Yes. That's powerful. And so what, what's the new project? Can you share a little bit about it? I'm, I'm super curious. You said new project. My mind's just going, what is it? What is it? Tell me, Robin, what is the thing? Yeah. So, so first one, I am writing a book. The book is called Minimum Viable Mockup. And I'm super excited about this book because I am just putting out all my secrets out there on how you can start building your startup without relying on business plans or pitch decks or investors. A lot of people, they get held up from actually launching because they're thinking about all the legal paperwork they need, what kind of structure they want for their company, what domain name they need, um, who's going to fund it, when if they can just 
you know, forget all the stuff that they learned about building a company, building a startup mm -hmm. and do it a really street smart and clever way, like back to the hustler um, hacker mindset. And you could just hack things together with, you know, tinfoil and, and masking tape or whatever and start building your project up like that. That's where I've kind of gone back. And every time I do a different launch, I use this exact same process. And I know that this process is going to help other startup founders out there. So putting all this information into the book. And then on top of the book, there's also going to be a couple um, offers on the back end where I am starting a new accelerator where I can help these idea stage entrepreneurs actually launch their companies on their own terms. Because one of the things is if you go out and get a investor, most entrepreneurs or aspiring founders, they think that that is the end all be all. You just need to get some money into your business and you are going to, to wreck it. You're going to, you know, grow so fast. Um, but that's, that's not how it works. First of all, even if you do get an investor, let's say you do get an investor, then all of a sudden that's not your company anymore. You are an employee for the investor. And this investor, I, I, dude, honestly, it's scary. I've seen so many people get booted out of their own companies because they've gone with investors. Like it's crazy, yes. right? And it's like, and, and the investors that they get, um, they don't even understand the vision as well as the founder. And it just completely flips around the, the, I feel like there's a much better way to do it. And the better way to do it is actually just to hustle and start on your own. So the minimum viable mock-up process, it's the, um, Let's see, the, why am I blanking on this? <laughs> it's the pressure. It's all the pressure. <laughs> I know. The GPDS framework. So the GPDS framework is first you grow a list and then you pre-sell a mock-up and then you develop and then you scale. And where I failed in my startup and where most people I think fail is they build the product first and then they try to go test product market fit. But there's this whole new revolution that's going on where these new companies, they're digitally native vertical brands. And what that means is digital native means it's a company that's born on the internet and how they compete is they only go after a certain niche. So that certain niche would be your vertical and your company is also vertically integrated. So everything that you do is to maximize the customer experience for that certain niche. And when you build a company that way, you don't have to start with the product. All you have to do is just start with the customers. So you build a customer list. And then as you start talking to your customers and you find out what their pain points are, what their desires are, then you can take them to the next stage where you can develop a solution and you can pre-sell that solution. And while you're pre-selling that solution, you're validating that idea because people are actually pulling out their wallets and paying you money for your idea. And then you can take that money and you can actually develop. And then once you figure out all the kinks when you're developing, then you scale. Dude, I'm a huge advocate for this. I mean, it's essentially the Kickstart model, right? Like, you know, the, the group crowdsourced funding model um, it does it perfectly. It's like, hey, here's what we want to do. Do you want to buy it? And then on the back end, it's like, oh, cool, you bought it. Now we're going to go and create it. And I think it's, I think it's a, a thing that so many people miss and so many people don't realize. And I actually remember I, I went through a, a program um, called 30days.com. It was one of the original One Funnel Away challenges. And one of the, um, the premises for this challenge was pretty simple. They were like, okay, you know, what would you do if you had absolutely nothing, no money, and wanted to make money in 30 days? How would you do it? 
And um, I remember listening to Trey Llewellyn's talk on what he would do. And he actually talked about this idea of, you know, the first thing he would do is go and reach out to a bunch of companies within a certain niche and get them to provide a product for a competition. You know, and the promise being, hey, if you all put a product in, I'm going to give you access to this list of people that we generate um, from this contest. You know, so if there was 60,000 people that got onto the list, all of the people who gave something to go into the contest would get access to that list of customers. And what he was showing people to do is really simple, like get something valuable so that people will willingly and virally exchange their email address and be willing to kind of share this with other people. But then once you've got all of these people together in this list, he said, you know, just start emailing them, ask them what they like. He said, you know, if you want to go and create like a t-shirt for the brand, like he had this, uh, this gun company where they were getting people in, you know, with these competitions, with these gun products. And then they basically said, Hey guys, we're going to make a t-shirt. Which of these images do you like? They gave them one, which was like some crazy gun nut picture. Another one was some like saying like, you know, Americans do it right. Or, you know, something like super gun nut crazy that Americans would love. And they, and they picked which image they like. And the next day he offered it on, on a t-shirt and they made like a hundred thousand dollars in sales from just a t-shirt, which was crazy because he's done this in multiple niches now. And, you know, you could be doing a vegan supplement. You could be doing, you know, selling ammunition like he was. You can do anything. And like you can start off just by growing a list from a competition, selling them a damn T-shirt to get some revenue in. And then on the back end, you know, selling them affiliate products, promotions, all of this stuff on the back end. And, uh, you know, I think this, this idea is very, very powerful and people need to understand it, right? Yes. The, the first time I was actually exposed to this idea, it was at a Las Vegas convention. I had a friend who he's in the cannabis business. He, he does like, um, he, he sells pipes, bongs, et cetera. And he has a bunch of different smoke shop stores. So he took me to Vegas with him and uh, he had this booth set up and I was walking around this, this uh, kind of like bong convention, cannabis convention. And <laughs> this I, sounds like I, a great I, trip, Robin. This sounds like one you want to invite you to, right? Definitely a fun trip. Got to meet a lot of cool people. Um, yeah. I, I don't think they even do things like that anymore because of COVID. So this is like a lost, lost kind of thing. But yeah, so we went on this trip and there was this one guy. He didn't, he didn't have, he had a booth, but he didn't have anything up on the walls. It was like just shabby and he was just sitting there. And I was, you know, I walked up to him and I asked him, oh, what are you doing? And he's like, well, what are you interested in? And we started having a conversation and whatever I was interested in, he started pulling out like little catalogs of different products of things. And here's the thing, he didn't even own these products. He was just a trader. So he went to a bunch of different factories in China, got all these catalogs, and he's testing the market for free by going to this convention. Well, he's paying the, the booth price, but he's testing the market and he's already making customers and he's trying to figure out what's the next hot item. And before he spends a dime on any of these products, he's starting to build the customer list. He's starting to, to build demand for whatever product he will end up uh, selling. And this was a couple of years ago and, I, and I, it always like stuck with me, but I never felt like I should implement it in my business. And you know, I, I have an MBA. So when you have an MBA, you're kind of just stuck in that world and you think, okay, I need a business plan. I need a pitch deck. And I need to find some venture capitalist investors or some angel investors. You don't think of the, the street hustle ways that you would have um, thought about if you didn't have an MBA, I think. Dude, that's so interesting. I love that whole like camping out, just trying to say, like figure out, okay, what does the market want? 
you know, I want to go to the market and I want to go where the people are walking around and I want to ask them, hey, what do you want? And I think that's so smart. And the cool thing is now, you know, sometimes it can feel limiting um, with everything happening with COVID. But I think the reality is the new norm is online and you can literally do that. You know, and Clubhouse is a great example of, you know, going and doing that physical thing. Like you could go into a Clubhouse room with 10,000 people talking about bongs and you could go and do what that guy did and sit in there and ask questions and do polls and get people to raise hands or, you know, get people talking about it. And there's huge opportunities right now for you to go where the market is and to dig in and understand what do people actually want. That, that's exactly it, Jamie. Like, do we actually even really need investors anymore? One of the main problems that investors have solved previously for startup founders is the distribution problem. As soon as you have a product, you need money to distribute it. But with tools like Facebook ads, YouTube ads, you can pinpoint, you know, laser target who you want to sell to and create a relationship with them directly. And because this entire distribution process has been democratized, it, it, I, I know I'm using words that you don't like me using. Um, just- <laughs> I mean, Robin had a conversation before. I was like, Robin, I am yeah, way yeah. too stupid for these amazing things that you're talking about. And I'm just not going to get it. And that's, that's just because I'm dumb and that's totally okay. But I, I actually, I, for this one, I was actually following along what you're saying. And I, th- I think it's interesting because yeah. I think we're going to get to a point where, you know, if we look at distribution, you know, and, and the classic example is Shark Tank, right? You look at Shark Tank, what is Shark Tank? It's a bunch of distribution. Hey, you want to go and distribute and sell a tie? Well, Damon's your fashion guy, right? He's got the fashion distribution network. You got a knickknack you want to sell on QVC? Well, Lori's got the distribution that you need, right? Um, want to get stung on a deal? Go speak to Mr. Wonderful. But, you know, the, the beauty of it is that they have distribution. And I, I think what's interesting is we're going to see this kind of micro distribution being more evenly spread. And, and almost we might even see the rise of micro uh, investors. You know, I know a lot of my buddies who are entrepreneurs who crack the seven figure code. They do this all the time. You know, they might have a student that comes through their program and they see their product and they say, you know what? Like, I love what you've got. I'm going to give you my distribution of the 20 or the 50,000 people on my email list. I'm going to take 25% of your company and I'm going to also help coach you on how to scale this business. And we're almost seeing the rise of these kind of like micro investors, which I think is super interesting. What's your thoughts on that? That's actually interesting that you would say that. Um, I think you are seeing a rise in that. And with, with this whole thing where you're actually going after just smaller and smaller niches, I think that's where the riches actually are because it's really difficult to compete with the Walmarts or the Apples. But where you can start adding value is when you know your product really well and it matches your audience and you can hyper target that audience then you can create a lot of value that way just by adding that perspective so i'll give you an example um let's say you want to buy an ipad type of device and you are a doctor if you go to the apple store and you walk up to the app the genius bar and you say okay hey how do i use this ipad to increase revenue in my medical practice, they might not be able to answer that. But someone that's hyper-focused on the medical niche, he can sell any product to doctors and he would be able to add that value on how they can actually maximize getting value out of that um, from that product. So with these micro investors that are coming in, you can actually have micro investors that are hyper-targeted to these small niches as well. And they can start helping 
these other micro niche companies grow together. And, and I think it's interesting because I, I think what we'll also start to see, and, and I love that example that you just gave, I think we're also going to see the connectors of distribution. And, you know, the example that comes to mind, I think of, is I remember years ago seeing Ty Lopez sell some course about, hey, go and rent a house from somebody and, you know, put it on Airbnb and like be the person that um, goes out. Or, or, or I think in the example, you don't rent the house, you like go to somebody who has a house and you say, hey, I'll rent out the spare rooms that you've got on Airbnb for you. And it's this idea of like, okay, you've got the distribution of what we need. I'm going to be the middleman and help you get it. And and I've seen this with JV distributors as well, right? There's there's some JV market experts out there who say, look, I'm friends with this guy, this guy, this guy who has distribution. I'm going to be the middleman and I'm going to go and find a great product to broker with, you know, this JV partner. And you also have that middle person who says, look, I'm going to connect you to distribution. I actually don't know why no one's done that with podcast closing yet. I think a podcast would be a killer vehicle for that, right? You have a show, you can go and connect with these people with distribution, and then you be the person that just hooks them up to different products and services. I think that would be a killer podcast closing product. That's an interesting idea. What, are, what, are, what actually are you doing right now? Because you said that you were not doing the organic Facebook stuff as much. Um, when you're running your ads, what are you running your ads to? And how have you changed your business? What a really good question. So honestly, the, the thing that's been super interesting about my business is that the, there comes a point where you, you want to make sure, and this is something that I had to check myself on around about July time. I said, I want to make sure that I'm still doing what I teach people to do. Because it's one thing to say, hey, here's how you can go on podcasts and here's how you can build partnerships. And hey, look, you know, I went and got you know, $50,000 in a partnership over here. But if it's not something that I'm actively doing in my business, it can sometimes feel a little bit hypocritical, right? Like imagine I'm teaching people how to podcast, but I'm not putting out content myself. And that was a really big thing that I wanted to change. And it was the reason that we ended up rebranding the show from the Entrepreneur Junkie movement, why we ended up creating the Changemakers movement, because I really wanted to make sure I was getting back to the grassroots of, well, make sure I'm doing what I teach people to do. So today, you know, we have kind of two main areas that we're focusing on in our business. The first and, and the biggest area I'm focusing on is the team. Um, I very, very quickly realized towards the end of last year that I'm no longer the driving force in the success of my business. My team is. The more I can empower the team to go and do the jobs that they're assigned to do to the best of their ability, the quicker that we grow. And that looked like outsourcing you know, lead generation. And we're now using a Facebook ad team and we're driving traffic. And I'll tell you what we're driving it to in a second. Uh, but it also meant my team, right? Empowering my coaches, empowering my um, internal team, my, my, my um, people that are in charge of my Facebooks and this and that, and, and actually running all of the operations. And the more that I empower them and the more that I invest in them, the more quickly our business will grow. So that's been a really, really big focus. Um, but in terms of the actual physical, where am I sending people to? You know, we're still building partnerships via podcasts and, and doing you know, podcast closing strategies. But where we've been focusing on our time and energy recently has been on sending those ads and sending all of our traffic to our front-end offers. So we have a $27 product. We're just in the process of rebranding it again and you know, building a new sales page for it with the goal of, okay, let's break even on this front end offer. You know, if I can get a customer at $60, you know, and they buy that product and we break even on the front end, 
I know that customer is going to subscribe to my email list. I know they're going to listen to my presentations. I know they're probably going to end up buying the podcast Profit Lab, and they're going to escalate up as, as we kind of go through that process. The, the other thing that we've been focusing a lot on is, is really good quality free content. So we've been doing a lot of pop-up podcasting. We've been sending people to our five days to monetize our podcast, which has been a really interesting experiment because you know across five days, it really has a lot of elements of a webinar, but it's actually very content driven. You know, For three days inside of there, I break down exactly how we do podcast closing with high ticket clients, exactly how we do partnership podcast closing. I break down how we create pop-up podcasts and you can go and consume that content and take a ton of value and go and implement it right away. So we've been focusing a lot on kind of that free content, but every single piece inside of the business, now it loops back in to selling the podcast profit lab, which is our core product. And the reason we wanted to do that is just because I think that's where we help people the most when we're able to get people coming through to actually launch the podcast, to take the steps and, and really overcome the challenges that they've been facing and, and accomplish it, you know, go through a program and actually finish it. I think that's been where we've been having the most excitement with, you know, people that are coming through. So that's been a lot of where we've been focusing our time and energy is building these systems so that I'm not the person that has to do all of this stuff, but it's going to be growing the business, you know, almost without me having to be involved, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. So everything is going to your front end offer. And now it's the podcast profit lab. And it's interesting that you said that that's where you believe that you can help people the most, because that's actually where I pivoted as well. And I think that's, that was like the drawing in factor. I was like, I can help these people the most. And I can start getting, you know, really good testimonials right away. So I feel like it's a pretty good focus. I think that's so important because, you know, and, and I'm curious to know what, what you feel is the biggest area you can help people. But I think if you can have a, and, and, you know, marketing aside and product creation aside, I think if at the core of your business, you've got something really good that gets people results that people rave about when they've gone through it. I think that's a huge factor that so many of us forget sometimes, you know, we dig into the marketing, we dig into the strategies, the webinars, the this, the, that, and the other. But if you don't have a really great product at the center of it, then, then a lot of it falls down by the wayside, right? Yes. And the podcast profit lab is definitely a good product. It's probably the best $1,000 that I've ever spent. And this is getting to sound like an entire huge testimony. Yeah, I'm so glad I gave you that 20 bucks at the beginning <laughs> to, to say all of these good things about the program. Sure. <laughs> no, but it's a, it's, it's such a great program. It's such a great program. I'm not even sure where I would be without it. I think it's, it's definitely been something that's helped me level up. I think, I think the most interesting thing, and from an outside perspective, looking in and, and looking at your journey, Robin, just in the last year, and it blows my mind that we've only known each other for a year because it feels like so much longer than that. But I think the thing that's the most interesting about you and your journey and podcasting has been that there's been such evolution from where you were a year ago you know, who you were speaking to, the kind of business you wanted to launch, you know, from politicians to, to growth hacking to all of these different directions. What, what do you think has been the biggest transformation, you know, from a year ago to today in terms of what, what was the biggest thing that helped you to get to where you feel like you're living your truest self today? That's a good question. So I'm going to share that I would say a year ago, um, actually, between 2017 and 2019, 
I was going through pretty severe depression and there was like a lot of uh, reasons for this depression. But I think the, at the end of it, it was really because I felt like I couldn't be myself um, as much as I wanted to be myself. And one of the reasons for that is the type of people that I was surrounding myself with. And as soon as I figured out what kind of life that I want to live, like through this perfect average day exercise, and I was more in tune with my core identity, I realized that I should start changing the people that I'm with, um, people that actually will vibe with me. And instead of trying to hide different things, like the fact that I smoke weed or other things, and I'm scared that I might not get business, it's so much, it's, it, life has been so much better since I've taken that leap. And I've been more forthright with who I am, um, what my vices are, what my preferences are, because it actually is attracting the right people towards me and it's taking the wrong people out. So I've actually had a lot of uh, family members that I don't speak to anymore and it's okay. They have their own different, you know, they have their own value systems. I have my own value systems. And what I'm learning is it really matters. Um, it really matters that you surround yourself with people that share in your values and that are open to actually who you are. So I think that's been the, the biggest shift. And since I've made that shift and I've started cutting these people out and attracting people who I need to be around, um, my life has done a total flip. It's 2020 was actually a pretty great year for me. I think this has been one of the happiest years in a very, very long time. And it's just for the simple fact that I'm, you know, I feel comfortable in my skin. I feel, I feel glad that I can be myself uh, no matter where I am. And if someone doesn't like them or someone doesn't like that, you know, my automatic thought is in the past, it would have been, oh, they don't like me. This makes me feel bad. But now it's like, I'm glad I know this right now. Um, so I can stay away from you and I don't like you either. <laughs> Dude, well, I, I got to tell you, I, I've been super thrilled to see the changes that you've been putting into place. It's great to see you, you know, living on your own terms. Um, and, and it's been fun to chat on this episode today. I'm so excited to dig in and, and discuss these different topics because I feel, you know, I feel like it gave me an opportunity today to talk about how the perfect average day has changed me. And, and I think you probably feel the same. I know how passionate you are about it. Are there any final thoughts about the perfect average day or anything you want to share or anything you want to share with the audience about anything that's kind of on your mind? Yeah, I think it's really easy to, to listen to episodes like this, um, especially when you're hearing about the perfect average day and not actually look into it and implement it in your own life. Because the thing is, most people, it's really difficult for them to understand the value of something. And I don't know how to big up the value of this exercise, but I mean, it's it's been such a complete game changer for me in terms of how I live my life now. If I had known this when I was 15 years old, I think the amount of heartaches and time spent in doing the wrong things, um, how much of that I could have actually avoided. So to me, this, this exercise is priceless. I think to get into your program, Jamie, I paid you a total of $6,000 so far. And I feel like that was a bargain compared to the, the type of information that I got in terms of the perfect average day and what it's done for me in my life. So anyone that's listening, I really urge you to sit down and do this exercise. The, the rules are there's no limitations. There's no consequences. Whatever you do, you have to do it every single day, gun to your head, and it can't make you sick and it can't kill you. And once you have those parameters and you sit down and you start writing out what your life could look like, magical things just start to happen. And you start 
living that life that you wrote down on your piece of paper. So I, I, I can't stress the value of that enough. I mean, if I had the, the means, I would have paid millions of dollars for this insight, but I'm glad I have it now. And I think this is the one thing that's helped me come out of depression and actually be um, a pretty happy person. I mean, I'm, I'm still taking my antidepressants, but compared to where I was and compared to now, it's been such a game changer. So I, I really urge that people actually go through that and do that exercise. And if you're interested a little bit more on that exercise, I do have a YouTube channel where I'm documenting my pursuit for the perfect average day. So if you go to perfectaveragedaycom it'll take you directly to my YouTube channel. I hope you guys subscribe and join this journey with me. And I also have a little bonus for your listeners, Jamie. I am giving away $100 worth of the top business books every single month. So if you go to winbusinessbooks.com, um, you can join in on that prize. Dude, amazing. And guys, you should absolutely go and check out the YouTube channel. I, I actually find it kind of fun to watch even just the first couple of episodes, Robin, as you've been going through the perfect average day. It's so awesome to hear about all the things that are going on. And, and to know, you know, and, and this I think is important for people to understand is that, you know, this pursuit of the perfect average day, it's something that's in progress. You know, it's something you're always going to be striving to improve. But at the same time, it, it can give you a lot of clarity in feeling like, you know what? actually my my perfect day like this idea of what i want my life to be like it's usually not that far away and almost everybody that i speak to that's done this exercise that has mapped out their perfect average day it's never out of reach you know it's usually something that can be achieved and the one little takeaway i'll give you guys to just think about in going and doing this exercise it's first of all, go and do this damn exercise. It's so good. Like it literally changes people's lives. I charge people like five, $6,000 just to go through this one thing. Like it's insane and it's so valuable. But the, the other thing I would tell you is that the biggest mistake I see people make with the perfect average day is not reading it every day. You know, one of the most powerful shifts that happened to me was when every single morning I would read back what I'd written and look at those perfect average day moments once more and read it through and really visualize in my mind as if it was happening today. And for anybody that's listening to this, who's feeling stuck, they're feeling maybe just like not on the right path. Maybe you feel like things aren't aligning. Maybe you feel like, you know, you thought this was going to be it and maybe it isn't singing for you. Um, just know that we've all been there. And, you know, I know I've been through a ton of failed businesses on the path to finding where I am today. And I know Robin, you've been through that as well. I think I can confidently say this, this does a great job of helping you get clarity on what direction you want to step into. Yes, Jamie, everything is downhill. Once you get that vision in your head, it's like, you've seen the future, you know what the future looks like. And no matter what curveballs life throws at you, it doesn't matter because you know, your perfect average day is going in. Rari's over here. But I can, I can, I can hear Rari in the background. Oh my God. If you're listening to this on podcast, just know it's the cutest heart melting little dog that just licked Robin on the face. Rari's so adorable. How old is Rari? She is two years old. Two years old, man. You've That's got years smart. left of that beautiful, smart dog. Hey, real quick, share that story that one time that Rari um, had that toy that was under the bathroom. That, that one blew my mind. Do you remember the one? Yes. So Rari, okay, Rari's super smart. She knows, she, I would say she probably has a vocabulary of around 300 words because of all the different commands that she knows, she picks up things on her own. So I don't even have to train her. She knows the names of her toys and <clears throat> excuse me. She knows the names of her toys. 
And one day she kept on kind of whining near the bathroom and I had no idea why she was whining. So I came, I was like, hey, Avery, why are you whining? Are you hungry? And she didn't move. Uh, normally to say yes, she does a little spin, but she didn't move. And I said, okay, are you, you know, do you need to go potty? And she didn't move. I was like, Rari, what's wrong? You know, and I couldn't figure it out. So then I, I walked away and started doing my own thing, probably, probably smoking weed, but I started <laughs> doing my own thing. And then when I walked back, um, Rari was whining again. And it was the same thing. I had no idea what she was talking about or like just completely no idea. And I was, you know, pretty annoyed actually by that point. Then the third time, I noticed that she brought her toy and she had a toy right in front of the bathroom. So I was like, oh, Rari, are you bored? You want to play? So I'm like trying to play with her a little bit. And the signal that she was giving me was like, no, that's not it. So I still couldn't figure it out. I went back to the bathroom. She has like four or five of her toys in front of the bathroom. And I was like, are you trying? Is it a toy? And she's, she starts spinning. So I get down on the floor and I look and underneath the bathroom sink, one of her toys is stuck and she couldn't get to it. So she made this pile of toys just to get my attention and let me communicate to me that she needs to get her toy out, out of the, the bathroom. So I got it out for her and then she was super happy. But like, like what kind of dogs do that? That's a smart ass dog. Yeah. You should, you should breed Rari and put Rari's all around the world or clone her or something, you know, something exciting like that. Maybe clone. Then you, could have more, then you could have Rari forever. It'd be so nice. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Robin, dude, I appreciate you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you so much. This has been fun. It's been a different interview and I always enjoy different content like that. And I'm so grateful for you for sharing your journey and, and letting me dig in and, and share a little bit of my own journey at the same time. If anybody, I know we talked about the YouTube channel and you know we've got that amazing um, business books for people to grab as well. Uh, one more time, if people want to follow you, find out more about your journey, where's the best place for them to go? Yeah, so you can go to robincopernicus.com, which is probably difficult to spell, but perfectaverageday.com will do it. That'll take you to my YouTube page. And of course, the competition, winbusinessbooks.com. And I'm also on Instagram and I'm on Facebook and all the other social places. And my DMs are open, so hit me up. Yeah, slide into his DM, folks. And we'll, we're going to put that stuff down there below. And um, for anybody that's interested in the Podcast Profit Lab or what we've been talking about, we're very soon actually going to be opening another round of the Podcast Profit Lab. So if you want to find out more about how to join the Podcast Profit Lab, go down into the show notes. If you want to go and join, you can always go to podcastprofitlab.co forward slash PPL. And as always, guys, if you have questions or if there's anything you want to know, hit me up on Instagram at Jamie Atkinson in the DMs. And if you want to find out more from Robin, again, go into the show notes. You can go check out the Perfect Average Day. PerfectAverageDay.com is a pretty cool domain, Robin. I'm pretty cool. I'm pretty glad that you snagged that one. That's that's not bad, right? Yeah. I, I, Baitpost.com is one of mine, too. Baitpost.com. <laughs> Dude, he's got all the good URLs. Guys, thank awesome. you so much for listening to the episode today. Robin, thanks for being with us as a guest. Rari. Thanks for being beautiful. We appreciate you here on the camera. And guys, we'll see you on the next episode. Have a good one. Hey, everyone. I hope you really enjoyed that episode. As always, if you want to listen to more daily interview content, make sure you subscribe. And here's three ways I can help you in your business for free. One, check out my video on how we're building a pipeline that produces 30 plus prime sales calls every single week using podcast setters and a basic interview funnel. And this is actually how I was able to quit social media forever. You can go to podcastrebels.com forward slash setters. Two, if you're a six or a seven figure entrepreneur with a podcast, 
We actually want to interview you on one of our top 100 shows. Head to top100interview.com and then three, download our podcast closing formula. It shows you how to create a podcast sales team that books out your sales calendar each week using the podcast closing client attraction method. And you can go to podcastrebels.com forward slash podcast formula. Now at podcastclosing.com, we help six and seven figure entrepreneurs with podcasts create a system for predictable client acquisition without relying on paid advertising or social media by building out podcast sales teams. Now, if you want help turning your podcast into a high ticket client acquisition machine, then book a call with our team to see how we can help. Go to podcastrebels.com forward slash chat. All right, guys, we'll see you in the next interview.